But as we go into God's Word, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 1? If you have an app or if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 1, toward the end of that chapter, we're going to be in verse 46. But as we go into uh, God's Word this morning, I just want to ask a couple of questions to set us up today. Do you have a favorite Christmas song? Uh, maybe, maybe it's the song that comes to mind, and maybe what came to mind is, well, I have a least favorite Christmas song. I have a few of those myself, I understand, but, but what if we were to kind of finish out some lyrics, right? So like uh, chestnuts roasting, okay, all right, so you're doing all right. I want a blank for Christmas. What's the right answer there? There you go, okay. So hippopotamus, all right, so we got some old school Christmas people in here. I got it. So there are lyrics that will just naturally flow, right? So like all I want for Christmas is, okay, you was what I was thinking, but you know, I see we, we have some people that don't love Mariah Carey in here. Uh, or love her performance on the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade the other day. Uh, there are songs at Christmas time that just stick with us, don't they? Whether we like it or not. Let, let's try this. There are songs, honestly, just in life that are this way. So if I were to come to you and say, Hello, darkness, my old. Okay. So if you thought of that from the Lego movie, that's cool. If you thought of that from Simon and Garfunkel, you the real one. All right? So if you know where that song actually came from, it's not the Lego movie, good for you. Songs are something that is all throughout our life. And there are songs that are wonderful expressions of joy and rejoicing. There are songs of lament and hurt and pain. I know there are times where I'll be listening to the radio with Stephanie or with my kids, and I'll say, I wonder who hurt them that this is the song that comes out of that. And I actually mean that not as a joke because you can hear pain and anguish uniquely through music. There's something that, that gets communicated through song, a longing and a desire. Isn't it good of God to give us music as a gift and as a part of our language and expression to be able to relate with one another? Well, today we're going to look at some songs of Christmas, and, and, and I think about Christmas songs in this way. You have, you have categories like Christmas specials, right? So you're not necessarily uh, going to be singing certain songs. Like I think of a song like uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman's song, Christmas is All in the Heart. That's a, that's a wonderful song, but it's probably going to be performed somewhere. Not necessarily sung congregationally. And then you have Christmas carols where they're, they're kind of these short verses. And you almost think of that like house to house. Does, does anybody even do that anymore? Go Christmas caroling. Where you're singing songs kind of house to house. Just seeking to spread joy and cheer. Then you have Christmas hymns where there's these deep, rich, theological truths. that are just dripping with truth. And these songs can be things that, that play in the background while you, some of some of your favorite memories. They can be playing in the background of some of the things that you would rather forget and run away from. These songs can be things that bring tremendous joy and a smile of, of sentiment in a moment where you're thinking about being gathered together. Or they can bring laughter because of something funny that happens at one point in life during that song. Christmas music is something that really smacks hard in that transition between October 31st at 11.59 and 59 seconds and November 1st at midnight. Maybe I'm thinking about it this year because I saw a Disney video that, you know, it was kind of like the, it zoomed into a pumpkin and all of a sudden it came out as Christmas trees. 
And this season can almost feel that way where all of a sudden it's going to either wash over you like this wonderful flood or it's a tidal wave of emotion. Welcome to Christmas time. Welcome to life in a broken world. So what are some of the songs of Christmas that we should consider from God's Word? Well, we're going to consider a few of those today. But as we go into this, I want to ask a question before we read from Luke 1, beginning in verse 46. At this time of year, what comes to mind when you think about God? What comes to mind when you think about God? This isn't a shouted out answer time or anything like that, but, but I want us to kind of have that question in mind as we look at Mary's song, because what we're going to be looking at is something amazing and ordinary at the same time. An ordinary thing. A woman is going to have a baby. Now, that's a gift, to be sure, the gift of life. A woman having a baby, though, is fairly ordinary news. We don't see that kind of leading. There's not breaking news. So-and-so took a pregnancy test, and she's pregnant. That would be ordinary news. But it's, it's extraordinary in the fact that that announcement is made by an angel from heaven. Good luck topping that baby announcement. So the ordinary is meeting the extraordinary in this moment where God is coming to earth. And, and Mary responds in quite an ordinary way. She says, I, I need to tell somebody about this. Isn't that a natural response for us? I want to talk to somebody about what's happening right now. I want to talk with someone about what's going on in my life. And so she goes to see her relatives. She goes to see Zechariah and Elizabeth. And this is what's going on. This is what's transpiring in the verses before our passage today. Now, Elizabeth is herself decades older than Mary is. And she's also pregnant. And what we come across in the preceding verses is a bit of a, a night in for these ladies. And I imagine that their conversation was both natural and supernatural as they're talking with each other about things like, what are you going to do that you're not married? What are you going to do for a crib? That's very natural things to talk about. And it's right to talk through those things. But then there's supernatural things like how it was that Mary became pregnant in the first place. And it's in the middle of this night in for Elizabeth and Mary that we hear and read the first Christmas song in history. Let's read together. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the, scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Lord, may your word light our path today in knowing how to follow you. 
Mary doesn't hesitate to let us know what's on her mind, does she? Mary doesn't hesitate in the midst of this moment where the ordinary and the extraordinary meet, where the natural and the supernatural come together in this moment. No, she is eager to let us know what is on her mind, and there's actually much that we can learn from her song today, and we want to focus on four things together. That God is mindful of us, that He is mighty to save us, that He is merciful toward us, and that we rejoice by magnifying Him. That's what we're going to look at in Mary's song today. But there is this fulfillment that is happening in this moment, and Mary's heart is filled knowing that the fulfillment of prophecies from eons past is coming to her. And she says that God is mindful of her. Now you may think, well, that that word doesn't show up here. In some translations, that's the word that is used. So if you see the word mindful and not that he has looked on the lowliest state of his servant, your Bible's not broken, there's nothing wrong with it. That's just a different way of putting it. But God is mindful of us. This is what God is like. If you're wondering, what is God like? What do I believe about that? Here's something to remember. He is mindful of us. He knows our frame. He he considers who we are as his creation. And he has promised something to us in his mindfulness toward us. He has promised blessing and fulfillment and security to all of the peoples on the earth. That is a promise that he holds out to us. He's not dangling it like a carrot. He's not kind of saying, oh, if you go to pick that dollar bill up, I'm going to yank it away. No, that is a promise to us in his mindfulness of us. See, Christmas reminds us that God's greatness isn't shown by how far away he is from us. Instead, Christmas reminds us that God's greatness is shown by how close he is to us. See, it's easy for us to think about that great God over there. No, no, no. That great God is near to you right now. And that's something that should bring tremendous amount of comfort to your soul. God is near, and that is how he expresses his greatness towards you. So if there's some sense of distance in when you're thinking about what God is like, I think that might be a wrong understanding of who God is. He is near to you. He is mindful of you. You know, I think about it like this. Uh, This time of year, oftentimes when families are gathered around, or I saw this even, uh, Ella and I were in the mall the other night, uh, earlier in the week, and and I realized ours was one of the only tables where we weren't communicating through devices. Now, that's not like some conviction for us. We don't have one of those baskets or whatever else to put phones in so that you're fully present and your presence is your present and all that kind of stuff. Now, I'm not saying that's a wrong thing to do, but think about it. Where else in the world do we spend money to make sure that we're not distracted in being together? See, I can struggle with mindfulness. So when I think about God being mindful of me, it might be easy for me to start thinking about it in terms of sporadically. He is, he occasionally gives a glancing thought my direction. No, that's not what Mary says. She says he has looked upon the lowly estate of his servant. That's what it says in verse 47. He is mindful of my circumstances. What does that tell us? He knows every circumstance you're walking through right now. He knows every circumstance that you're facing. He knows everything that you're facing when you head home this afternoon in your workplace. I know for those in college, you're getting ready to head back to those couple of weeks that lead into finals. He knows what you're facing. 
He knows about the grade your family doesn't know about yet. He's mindful of us. And see, that's intended to bring tremendous comfort to our souls this time of year. But for some, it may bring a sense of desperation. Maybe even dread, and we're going to look at that in just a few moments. See, Mary is acknowledging this is not pity from on high. This is a God who is so great, he knows what's going on with her. He has remembered her. She speaks of it in very personal terms. She, she speaks of it in terms that, that he is mindful of me. He has taken care of me. I am the one who is in his remembrance. And so my soul glorifies him. And she focuses on the greatness of God in his nearness. And her spirit rejoices in God, her Savior. Angels can't say that God is their Savior. They would have to use terms like our Creator. But Mary is able to say, my Savior remembers me. What an amazing thing to think about at this time of year. What a right way for us to focus in on the right things about God and who He is. But Mary doesn't just sing in personal terms. No, she speaks sings of the people of God as well toward the end of her Magnificat which is what this section of scripture is known as he has helped his servant Israel in times and a remembrance of his mercy we're going to remember his mercy together in communion in just a little while he has helped his people to remember him and and it actually introduces Abraham and this might be where a little bit of history would help us See, 2,000 years or so before Mary sang, the God about who she sang had made great promises to Abraham. Back in the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 12, he called, God called Abraham out from his people and out from his country, out from his household, telling him to go to a place that he would show him. And all the way throughout the Old Testament, God says again and again to his people, I am mindful of you, I am remembering you, and I will fulfill the promises that I have made. But you know what's significant about Abraham? I've been kind of wrestling with this this week. Why Abraham? Abraham didn't know the outcome, he just knew the call to obey. A mindful God. Mary doesn't know the outcome. She's being called to obey. I wonder for us today if there's not application already in this song. Are there things that God is calling you to that you're hesitating on because you're like, I don't know if that's really beneficial for me. I mean, it sounds rude when we say it out loud. It's one of those things where it's like, you can't say that in church. You're not supposed to talk back to God like that. But here's the thing. Our lives talk back to God regularly, don't they? When we don't believe his promises. When we don't obey his word. When we don't submit to his lordship. When we don't align with what he calls us to as his people. Our lives talk back maybe even more than we'd care to admit. See, Mary was being called to obey, not knowing the outcome. I wonder in our lives today, what are the circumstances that you're facing where the same may be true of you? And this is where it's helpful for us to know that God is mindful of that, and he knows that about you. And he provides the Spirit's power. I mean, in remembering that he will fulfill the promise. We read from Isaiah chapter 9 during Advent, but just consider the words from Isaiah chapter 9, this, this messianic promise, this, this chapter that is just filled with promise that is coming to fruition in this time. For unto us, it says, a child is born, a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulder. 
All of the things about ruling and reigning are going to be on him. It's not dependent on you. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And I love this line. I think it's an oft overlooked line. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. It's another expression of his mindfulness toward us. See, God knows your name. God knows what you care about. God knows what weighs on your mind in the night that you don't tell others about. He knows about the responsibilities that weigh heavy on you. He knows about the thing that you're facing today or this week. He knows about the disappointments that gnaw at you in your thoughts. He knows the concerns that cause you not to be able to sleep. He knows your hopes. He knows your aspirations. The moments that make your heart sing. See, God, the creator, is mindful of you. And that gives you value. It gives you tremendous value. See, whatever the world sees when they look at you doesn't matter. What God sees when he looks at you matters. And he's looking at you constantly because he loves you. He's created you. He is mindful. So no matter what your background or your beliefs, we all have a picture of God that springs to mind. And many of us may have a God that we don't believe in because we don't like him. So if you don't believe in God because he's distant or he's uncaring, he's unhelpful, I understand because I don't believe in that God either. I believe in a God who is near and mindful. Here is the God of Christmas. Here's the God of history. He knows you. He cares about you. He makes promises to you. He acts to help you. He is the mindful God. If he's mindful, man, do we ever need him to be mighty too. Because it's nice to have someone that thinks about you. Oh, but I need something more than that. I need a Savior who can act on my behalf. And Mary's song celebrates the God who is mighty to save us. See, he stands in contrast to Mary's humble estate. God shows us that he's powerful when she sings that he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He scatters them. I wonder if we, we would realize that there are times that God is showing his might by hemming us in to the circumstances that we're facing. Certainly they could be a consequence of our actions. But maybe there's something in business where you're trying to advance in some way. You're trying to kind of take that next step. You're trying to have that next level thing. And what you bump into doesn't make sense in the eyes of the world. And it's because God is mighty enough to say, I have hemmed you in to where you are to do this work in your heart. I wonder how often that comes up in Harvard Business Reviews. I wonder how often that comes up when we consider uh, in, our, in our job uh, uh, review on the annual basis. 
What are the ways that God is hemming you into the position that you're in? Not typically a question that HR is going to ask you, is it? But it's a question we should be asking in our own hearts. God is mighty, yes, to save us, and he is mighty to keep us exactly where he has called us to be. Oftentimes we think about it in terms of God is mighty to call us to go. What if God is calling you to stay and in his might, that's how he's going to meet you? Mary's song celebrates that. She is seeing the coming birth of a child. She needs a mighty savior in that moment, doesn't she? In the circumstances of the world around her, in the things that she is facing, it is not stacked up in her favor. Just the culture of the day was against her. A single pregnant woman. What are the things that you are facing today that God is hemming you in with? It might be said this way, that God loves you too much to let you out of that circumstance yet. That you are hemmed in, as the scripture says. See, God brings down the rulers from their thrones. We love this in times of politics, don't we? Lord, bring them down with my vote. God help us if it ever comes down to one actual vote. That would be a scary day in the Supreme Court, wouldn't it? But isn't that how we kind of act in the, in the booth? Smite them. I, I hope I'm not the only one that's ever thought that. So we, need, we, we love the power and the might of God when we see it in others. When we see it bring down others. We love the might and the power of God when we see the, what we would call mighty in the world's eyes falling. See, God even sends the rich away as empty, Mary's song says. I mean, who are the people that we think shouldn't be empty? Rich people. We, we've all thought it. Who probably has like the Norman Rockwell looking holidays? Rich people. I'm reminded of a time Stephanie and I were visiting with friends and we were in their house and, and, and I hope this is a, a, a reference that's helpful. Th- this house was like a, it was like it was a, out of a catalog for like Pottery Barn or Restoration uh, Hardware. It, I mean, it was, it was crazy, immaculate. They didn't have kids. And, and so it was, it was unbelievable. I thought, when is the camera crew going to show up? Like, how am I staying in this house and there's this sense of, of this wealth, and I, I just thought, I don't, I, gosh, what am I doing here? This is a longtime friend of Stephanie's, and we were staying the weekend with, with the, her and, and her husband. And, and I remember we were in the midst of a conversation one night, and as I'm seeing this cool new technology where, where at the time it was new, that, that wireless surround sound, and I was just like, you don't have to run wires to it. That's amazing. Like, new aspiration. Chris and I remember sitting that night and discussing over the dinner table we had been through a surgery with Caleb and had just come out of a season where he was in and out of the hospital for six months as his body rejected the shunt in his brain it's humbling even just to remember this thought crossing my mind We had to split a mortgage payment to pay for his surgery. 
And it would lead to some terrible kind of things down the road financially for us. And I remember sitting in this thinking, how am I here? This is so nice. And then his friend says to Stephanie out loud, I would trade all of this for what you guys have with your relationship with one another and your family. And in that moment, I was just smacked upside the head with humility. Because I had started comparing to someone in the world. That's, gosh, this is nice. I feel like I can't even provide for my family. I had to split a mortgage payment just to pay for my kid's surgery. And I mean, you're in this moment where you, your mind is just worrying on all of these. Did I make the right decisions career-wise? What, for the last five to ten years, have I given myself to the right things? And all of a sudden, a friend says something like that, and you realize that the richness is not in our things. It's in our relationship with God and in our relationships with one another. See, God is mighty to save us, and he's mighty to remind us of who he is as well. He's mighty enough to remind us of the things that are true riches, that are true might, that are true greatness in the world. See, when life is good, it's easy to kid ourselves that we're mightier than we really are. And forget the God who is mightier than we The God of Christmas is mindful and he is mighty. Mighty to save us from ourselves, from sin and death that entered the world in the garden. But I thought today that a helpful way for us to illustrate the God who is mindful and who is mighty is to give us the opportunity to hear from a young man who has encountered this as we rejoice in his baptism together. Shane, would you lead us through this time? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order, just, in, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism, being submerged in water, does not save us. But it is a physical and public declaration of a very real spiritual reality. Baptism is not an add-on for the Christian life. It is a command from our Lord. This morning, as a church community, we get to witness a young man declaring to himself and declaring to his church family that he's been buried in death with Jesus. And as he's pulled from the water, that he has been resurrected with Jesus in new life. Church, will you enter into the joy of your brother in Christ this morning? As we celebrate something that we don't see every day, someone who was dead being raised up in new life, declaring that he was lost and now found that he was dead and he is now alive in Jesus. So church, please join me as we welcome Quentin Higley into the baptismal. He's going to share a brief testimony. Good morning, church. Good morning. I'm, uh, I've gotten the chance to share my testimony with you guys, and I'm very, very proud to, because this is my story, and it means a lot to me, and I want it to inspire all of our church to show them that God is real, and he can do things in our lives that we cannot do. 
When I was a baby, I was baptized Roman Catholic. I grew up in and out of Christian and Catholic schools. From a young age, I knew who God was and that Jesus died for us, but I never wanted much to do with them. I, when I moved from New York to Florida last year, I felt alone and sad. I was sinful and I only thought about myself. It seemed like I didn't fit in anywhere and had trouble making friends. Every Sunday, my family was looking, looking for a new home church, and it was tough because we never found a church during that time that felt right. This was a struggle for my family. When we finally found Metro Life Church, it was instantly a fit for my family and I. For me, it felt like a place where people actually cared about what was going on in my life. It wasn't just a place for me to go on Sunday and meet people and never talk to them again. A week and a half after attending our first Sunday service, I attended my first Alive Youth Group night here at Metro. I instantly felt welcomed and loved by youth leaders and other teenagers. After attending the Alive Youth Group for a few months, I began to wonder why these people were so nice to me. I found the answer at a live end of summer event. Shane preached a message about bringing others to God and that just by being caring to others, you can show them God. I learned that these people were showing God to me in small ways I never noticed for months. After that night, I started taking my religion more seriously. I got into the Bible and started praying more than I ever had. I was interested in everything about Jesus and God. But the one thing I never did was worship through song. I thought that as long as I prayed to him and followed the Bible, there was no need to worship. About two months ago, we were having a worship night for youth group. The funny thing is, I almost didn't go to youth group that night because some of my friends weren't going to go. The music started and I was just standing in my own thoughts thinking about what game we were going to play later that night. When suddenly I felt like the room went dark and the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. He was saying to me, he was here, he was real, and it was time for me to get baptized. He was, he was giving me this chance that I never had really thought much of. I thought baptism was something that existed, but it would not be something I'd ever do again. I had been baptized as a baby, so I just thought there was no need to do it again. I feel like by getting baptized, I'm doing what God wants, but I'm also being wiped clean from past sins. Since that night, two months ago, I have grown even more in my faith. I have handled challenges that have come up in my life recently by following what the Bible says rather than doing what I feel. God has given me courage as well not to be scared about sharing the gospel or my testimony, but to be proud that I am his child. Without God, I would be lost, alone, and scared. I pray that everyone will find him and not feel alone. I'm, ex I'm so excited and ready to be baptized today in front of our church. I thank all of our church and our youth leaders for taking the time to get to know me and making me feel special. Quinn, I have a simple question for you this morning. Who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Yes. Quinn, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Church, what an example of a young man who has encountered a God who is mindful of him and who is mighty to save him.
So what's something else that Mary's song teaches us about? Teach us about who God is. He is merciful toward us. God is merciful toward us. In this account, his mercy is being expressed by a Savior being sent to save. To save from what? And I think Mary actually captures it for us well. If we look back at Luke chapter 1 and we look at the end of verse 49, it says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He's set apart. He's without sin. He is completely other than we are. Holy is his name. Let's just pause there for a moment. Holy is his name means that we cannot enter his presence, his kingdom. We cannot enjoy relationship because of sin. Because of sin, holiness says you can't come in. It would tarnish the holiness. There would be something that would be degrading about that. And so what do we need? We need a Savior. So she continues on, Luke chapter 1, verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy. What does that mean? That that the holiness of God says that we actually receive and deserve judgment from God. But he is merciful toward us. In this season, as we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, it's an expression of his mercy toward us. A sacrifice made on our behalf one who would die in our place he would receive the death that we deserve so that we might have new life in him it's what we're celebrating with quentin this morning i look forward to getting to know this young man he's going to be in the lobby later i'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a moment but i want you to meet him he is merciful not just toward quentin Not just toward us as a gathering, he is merciful toward you. See, having a God who is mindful of us, having a God who is mighty to save us, well, that that should be a comforting thought to us. But to some here today, it may be a thought that actually brings on a tremendous amount of dread. Why? Because you know in your mindful moments what your mind goes to. You you know what it is that you have given your strength and ability and talents to. You know the ways that you fall short. I don't need to stand up here and preach them all over again. They are weighing on your heart and mind right now. So I'm just going to say a quick prayer. Holy Spirit, do your work in us as a church right now. See, He is holy. You don't need convincing of that. He is mindful. That might bring dread to your mind. He is mighty. That means that his judgment is against you. That zeal of the Lord of hosts isn't something that excites you because it stands opposed to who you are right now. But God showed mercy to who? To the helpless, it says in verse 51. To the humble, it says in verse 52. To the hungry, it says in verse 53. See, Mary's song in the closing verses, 51 through 55, almost illustrate for us what it is that she's singing about in his mindfulness, in his might, in his mercy. It illustrates something for us. 
God is merciful because we deserve judgment. But someone else pays that price on our behalf. This Emmanuel, this God with us, this babe in a manger that we celebrate this time of year is the one who will take our place. In just a moment, we're going to pause and receive communion together. And in our faith, receive is a very important word. See, I started off saying that this mindfulness is toward all people at all times. Scripture tells us that He searches the world as a light searches in the darkness. He examines our hearts, the things that drive us, the things that motivate us. We're going to receive communion together. And this is a meal that should be more filling for our souls than Thanksgiving dinner was for our stomachs. This is a meal that should be more filling for us, but but can I ask you a question? Are you taking this meal rightly? Are you receiving this meal rightly? Is it in humble, helpless state? Is it one who is hungry for the things of God? See, Mary's letting us know that the themes of her song is that the proud, he is going to make them run away. It's the weak that he's going to lift up. The mighty, he is going to remove from their man-made thrones, but the hungry are going to be filled. That those that think that they are rich are going to walk away realizing they are always empty. Are we receiving rightly today? John 1.12 puts it this way, But to all who did receive Him, that is, believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Receiving is important, isn't it? There is already a gift under the tree in our house. It's what you do when you're sick and you don't have anything else to do. You put up Christmas trees, obviously. So the decorations are up in our house and there's already a gift under there. And much like Santa in in the Polar Express, I held it up and declared, the first gift of Christmas. No, I didn't do that. There's a gift already there. It's from me to Stephanie. It's going to sit there for a few days until December the 25th when we open gifts together as a family. See, I've extended a gift. It will be received on that day. Is today your day of receiving? Is today your day of receiving the gift of faith? Is today your day of receiving communion rightly where you are saying, I am humbled, I am helpless, I am hungry for the things of God, and I want to receive this that I might know that I am a child of God. That I might walk out of here and realize that I don't have to be burdened at the thought that God is mindful of me. I don't have to be burdened at the thought that His might might stand against me. I don't have to be burdened by those things because He is merciful toward me. Shane Pruitt, Christian evangelist, would say it this way. If you're here today, you are not too lost that God can't find you. You're not too dirty for God to cleanse. You're not too broken for God to fix. You're not too hurt for Him to heal. You're not too far for Him to reach. You're not too guilty for Him to forgive. You're not too sinful for Him to save. This is Jesus' offer to us. 
his life given for our life? It's an offer that every person can say yes or no to. You can receive this gift of life or not. So today, although it may be hard to believe that he would offer this gift even at the off chance that someone may say no and reject it. We realize that's what love does, isn't it? It extends gifts even if someone may say no. I'm just going to ask around the auditorium right now, just eyes closed and heads bowed. If you want to receive this free gift offered to you today, Praying a simple and true of heart prayer like this is how it begins. And if, if this is you, just, just pray it where you are. God, I want a relationship with you. I, I confess my sin. I ask you to forgive me through Jesus. And now I invite you, Jesus, into my life as my Savior and my Lord forever. Amen. God is mindful. He is mighty. He is merciful. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six reminds us that these elements proclaim the great drama of the redemption that we receive in Jesus Christ. It says that as often as we eat or drink, this bread and drink the cup. That, what does that remind us of? It reminds us that there is a very present salvation for us. It's a declaration of the good news of the gospel. A present salvation. We say that we proclaim the Lord's death. That's the salvation that came to us through that one act on our behalf. That there's nothing that we have to add to that. That his three words declared over us, it is finished. The work was accomplished perfectly. Once and for all. And it proclaims, even as we're celebrating in this Advent season, salvation in the future. It says that until He comes, we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup. So even as we look back to His first Advent, and as we look forward to His second Advent, this meal reminds us that there is salvation available to us today. Before we take of this supper together, can we just examine ourselves this morning? Recognizing the gravity of our sin, but seeing all the more the weight of Christ's glorious sacrifice on our behalf.